listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. Matthew chapter 5, we'll be looking at that in a moment. Now, our household is kind of maybe becoming what is a growing minority in Canada. And, and because of something we have in our house that is, is becoming less and less. Yes, I must admit, we have a landline still. And, um, and some kids might even be here and say, what's a landline? I don't even know what that is. And, and, and now, the only calls that we get on it for some reason are Charlotte's parents, who usually call from Saskatchewan Sunday afternoon or early Sunday evening to check in, and we have our weekly chat with them. And then, of course, throughout the week from telemarketers or different con artists. And I'm sure many of you can relate to this kind of thing. And uh, one of the latest that I've received is kind of comical. It's from the CRA, uh, or, or it's from... Canada Revenue Agency, or so they say, and that my accounts are in serious violation, and that if we don't call right away this certain number, that we will be prosecuted to the full extent of the law, and we're not ready for that quite yet, guys, and, uh, we're, and, and be uh, prosecuted to the full extent of the law, and, and need to phone this certain number and talk to one of the lawyers. And, and it's this whole kind of thing, and I kind of love it because I'm able to say to them, well, I was able to say, well, my wife works for Canada Revenue Agency, and uh, this just is not true. Now, I can say she formerly worked as for a Canada Revenue Agency, and, uh, and, and suddenly there's a bit of a click that takes place. Then it almost seems, you know, so you get these telephone scams, but then you get, as I did, and we have this slide here, just some recent emails that I've received from our, um, from TELUS as well as from Apple. I get these from Netflix, and, and I'm sure that you get them too, or else they go right to your junk file, and it looks like the real deal that my account is on hold, payment failure to MC Lutzer at TELUS.net, and, you know, and you need to update your account information, sign in, log in, give them all this information, give them your credit card number, whatever it might be, and it's all a scam, and it's happened with Apple ID, I get it, it's happened on Netflix, and one of the things that as you go through life, you have to learn that there's going to be fraudsters and hacksters and all kinds of con artists out there, and, and, and that one has to learn to, 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 to be wise and, and learn to discern what is true and what is not true. But what is even more important and even more at, at risk is some of the spiritual threats that are out there. And I'm talking about false teachers and false teaching that is very prevalent in our world today. And, 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 and they're pulling people away and teaching a different gospels. And, and I love this quote that I, I heard this week. False teachers don't creep into the church and label their message as false teaching. Rather, they market it as being the same gospel, yet with a few additions or a few alterations. And this past week, I've spent a number of hours reading and, and researching and, and coming to some understanding, or at least trying to, on a major debate that's happening in the evangelical um, culture today, evangelical circles in Canada, in the United States, but, but really centralized in, in Ontario over a, a, and dealing with a church, and, and a, more specifically, a, a pastor who is promoting some very uh, wrong kind of teaching. And, 
and, uh, and, and it's, he has a very large and influential church, and he's promoting some concerning teaching, whether it's in regards to the doctrine of the inerrancy of Scripture, or, um, and, and believing that the New Testament is in error when it comes to what it has to say about homosexuality, as well as other areas of, of popular culture today. He, he's even had in his church members of the LGBTQ community serve communi- communion to the church people, just showing that um, the bond and the unity that we can have in Christ in this way. But even more importantly and more dangerously is he denies and even dismisses the doctrine of the penal substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. Now you say, what is that all about? It is a core central doctrine to our faith. And, and he is basically diminishing it or downplaying it. It's not a new doctrine uh, or new heresy or new false teaching. It's been around for 100 years, but he's given it some new wings. What this man is promoting is a different gospel. And the danger is, is that he has large influence, not only in his church, but across the nation here in our own country. He recently spoke in our city at a church conference to inspire and educate in areas of art, music, and, and innovation when it comes to church. And so there's tentacles that are going out from this kind of teaching. And so we must be very careful. We must be aware that there is false teaching and false doctrine, that this sort of thing, there's nothing new about this kind of thing. In fact, Paul warned the church in Galatia in in Galatians chapter 1 verse 6. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. He says there's only one gospel, and it's here what we see in the Word of God. And then Paul warns Timothy, again, here we see another warning, this time it's to young Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, 16. He says, watch your life and your doctrine closely. He says, persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is why it is important to read and to Get into, on a regular basis, the Word of God. To get to know the Word of God and understand it and to love the Word of God. To, in a sense, marinate ourselves, our minds, our lives in the truths of Scripture. I love this statement that you'll find on our doctrinal statement online or else in one of the booklets that is available for you to have um, if you're at all interested or don't have one. And this has to do with scripture and and our stance on the word of God. And, And this is just the last sentence from it. And I love this. It says, scripture is fully trustworthy as our final and sufficient authority for all of life. We don't bend scripture. We don't bend it to fit our lifestyle. We, we, don't, need to take, we don't need some new further revel, revelation of some sort, some new revelation that's now out there that is enlightening, giving enlightenment. This is a closed canon. We have the word of God. It's all here. We believe all that we need for a life of faith, a life of practice, a life of living is found in the precious word of God. And so that's why we encourage you, bring your Bibles, be people of the word, be in the word. I can't encourage you along those lines. As a church, we want to resource 
resource you. And, and at least once a month, we usually have a book table available for you to, to purchase at cost. We're not making any money on this, just at cost, good material to go along with it. And here are, are just a number of things. That some of these kind of items, like a good study Bible and, and some sort of booklets that will give a, a great overview of Bible doctrine, those three top books are available for you to buy today. And, and, and oftentimes it's funny how we say, oh, I really, yeah, I should get one of those. Uh, you know what? That one on the right costs $35 and a good study Bible is, you know, $65 to $85 or whatever, you know, and, and, and all of a sudden money becomes a, a little bit of an issue. And so we don't do that sort of thing. And sometimes I think we just need to re- reorientate ourselves on what's really important. This past week, Dwayne and I got together at uh, a coffee shop to talk about some worship and, and, and some things moving ahead in the next few weeks and plan out this service and hear a bit about their trip to Eastern Canada and that. And Dwayne ordered a drink and I ordered it a, 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 along with him because I thought, ooh, this sounds interesting. And it changed my life. Well, maybe not literally changed my life, but it's definitely going to change the way I drink cold coffee. And, you know, I like iced coffee. I, I, I like it, you know, without cream. I'll, I'll go and order iced coffee, and it's just usually black, maybe a little bit of sweetener if I feel like a little sweetener that day. Well, Dwayne ordered a tonic espresso. Super basic, some ice, some espresso, and tonic water. It was amazing. I enjoyed that so much, and it was just like... I'm not going to spend five bucks on this every time I want this. We bought some tonic water, and I'm going to make some brew up some really strong coffee. I could do this at home, but it was amazing. And, and you know, because I'm a bit of a cheapskate when it comes to certain things, and, and for me, five or six dollars for a coffee or six dollars for a scoop of ice cream or something like that, it's just kind of like, you know, but, but those kind of things we often don't wince at, right? We're like, hey, I need this every day, and, you know, or a couple of them a day, and we don't wince at, at that, or, you know, the ice cream, you know, bowl or whatever, or a meal out. And not to say that anything is bad, I'm just putting it in, in comparison, so, so we can spend money on, on, on a drink that just goes through the system, or we can go, let's put these books back up there, we can spend some good resources on, or some, some good money on some resources that will not only last a lifetime, but will help to have a strong influence on the Word of God. That, that one that you see on your left-hand side, that's, that's a booklet that, honestly, if, if you were to pour through that this summer, it would only strengthen, encourage, and give you such good wisdom when it comes to sound doctrine and teaching. And uh, I encourage you this summer, may it be a time of going deep in just getting to know God's word and some of these important doctrines so that when false teaching is around, when people start saying certain things, they think, eh, I'm not so sure on that. It's good that we watch our life and our doctrine closely. And that's where the Beatitudes just fit in in such an incredible way. That, that as we have the word of God, as we have some of these good resources to help build our, our, our doctrine and our understanding of the word of God, but it's so important that we also look at our lives. And you see, one of the things that can happen is that you can have really good belief system, really good solid orthodoxy, you might say, have all this knowledge, you can articulate it, you have great understanding, but you can also have a shriveled up heart. Or a heart that is unregenerated, that hasn't even been truly saved. 
You see, Jesus, when he was giving the Sermon on the Mount in his day, he was talking to religious leaders. I mean, these guys had the knowledge. These people had the appearance. They had their knowledge. They had their discipline. They had a rich heritage. They had the perfect, fam- perfect looking family. You know, all of these things were marks of true faith, or so they thought. Then Jesus comes, and he calls them a little later, later on. He calls these Pharisees who were so big on their teaching, he calls them whitewashed tombs. He says, you're all white and clean on the outside, but in the inside, it's stench and death. And Jesus calls them on this. And this is why the Sermon on the Mountain, as we've been going through it this summer, is basically, you can hold up these beatitudes as a mirror into our souls. The beatitudes or the beautiful attitudes are a penetrating test to the authenticity and to the health of our faith. And I trust that as we've been going through these messages and as we look at today, the fifth beatitude, that, that, that we would look honestly at our lives, that the word of God would be that mirror and we would be able to examine our hearts, not our activity, but first and foremost, our hearts before God and how that then flows into action. You see, it's more about external actions and head knowledge. It's more than raising, an authentic faith is more about raising a hand or saying certain words in a prayer or wanting to just simply escape hell or something that sometimes you hear is I want to change my postal code or I want to change my spiritual address, you know, and wanting to go to heaven. It's more than just wanting to have Jesus fix my life. These beautiful attitudes are the path towards happiness. That's why the nine times in these eight verses we see happy, happy, happy are you. Happy, approved by God, blessed by you as we live out these truths here, as we consider the truths that we have here. To be a kingdom citizen, to be a true child of of God begins from the inside out, not with external activities. It starts at the center of our being and it works its way out from there. You see, Folks, it's important. We don't work for our salvation. We don't. But we work from our salvation. We, we allow God's work that has happened in us to flow out to others. And so today, as we look at the fifth beatitude, may our hearts be, be uh, ready to respond to, to the truth of God's word. And I want to start uh, this morning here by starting at verse 1 of chapter 5 at the start of the Beatitudes and then work our way to, to verse 7 where we will land here today. And so starting at verse 1, it says, Jesus, uh, talking about Jesus, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And verse 7, where we'll land today. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, as Jesus was preaching and as he's going through these beatitudes, the the crowd and even the disciples would have been like listening to him and saying, what? What's he talking about? The Pharisees, the religious leaders who were no doubt surrounding and listening were probably like, what a joke. I mean, what's this guy teaching? I mean, that just makes no sense. And especially this merciful, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. (laughs) I mean, Roman culture. And it, and it moved into the entire culture, even for the Jewish people, for the Hebrew people that were slaves in there. Mercy was a quality that was not admired in the culture of the day. It was a merciless culture. 
where only the strong would survive. It was about vengeance and power and get whatever you can, get whatever you want, no matter the cost. One could have their slave killed if they just wanted to. No reason, necessarily, and there would be no follow-through, anything like that. Just, just I mean, it was a very, uh, just a brutal culture to live in. Forgiveness, compassion, mercy, <laughs> signs of weakness. It's not, there's nothing great about that. But you know what, today when we look at our culture in so many ways, things haven't changed. Yet Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I encourage you to write this down as we work through this here this morning, this mercy because of mercy, as we call our message here this morning. I encourage you to write this down. Number one, true mercy originates and flows from the heart of God. Receive it. Receive his mercy. His mercy flows freely from the heart of God. In the news and, you know, and, and on social media, we'll hear stories of mercy and compassion. Some incredible stories that, that touches the heart of people. Uh, just recently, those in the soccer team that was um, buried in, in, in the deep tunnels there, and we hear the stories coming out of there of people willing to risk, risk their lives. What love, what compassion, what mercy was shown. And yet we must understand that what we see on a human perspective is only, doesn't even come close to touching the mercy and the compassion of our God. We must understand that ultimate and true mercy flows from the hand of God, from his heart to ours. It's one of the precious attributes of our God. Mercy doesn't simply refer to some sort of human emotion or feeling or feeling empathetic towards someone, feeling sorry for them, seeing, hearing a story, seeing someone's plight, and just feeling bad for them. It's more than an emotion. The Greek word that we see uh, oftentimes translated for mercy, it kind of defines itself as this, to give help to the wretched, to relieve the miserable. Another word that is used in scripture and, and in a song that we'll hear a little later on uh, at the end of our service is loving kindness. When you hear of the word mercy, it also can mean loving kindness. It means some sort of action, not just a feeling, but there's feeling and then there's action. It's tied together. Now, you might say, but what's grace then? There's grace and mercy, and oftentimes we say that and we sing that and we sing it interchangeably and different things like that, and they oftentimes can be confused, and, 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 and yet they're inseparable, but they're also very different. It's kind of like a coin. You have two sides of a coin, and on one side, it, it's the grace side, and the other side of the coin is the mercy side. One coin, inseparable, but two different, very significant meanings. First of all, grace is getting what we don't deserve which is salvation and eternal life. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve, which is judgment and death and hell. Grace is unmerited favor, God's blessing, despite the fact that we don't deserve it. Mercy is God not punishing us for the sins that we have committed against our God and against others. Grace looks at the sin itself. Mercy looks at the misery that the sin produces. Grace comes first and renders us no longer guilty. Mercy comes next and delivers us from the punishment. Grace is shown to the undeserving. Mercy is compassion to the miserable. Mercy 
as I said, is not just a feeling of compassion. It's compassion in action. And true mercy flows from the heart of God. That's where it originates. That's where it flows from. A number of years ago when our son Nate started playing um, basketball, he was on a team that uh, was pretty good and, and, uh, and it was pretty fun to watch your kid play basketball, score some, you know, two-pointers and different things. And, and uh, yeah, we quite enjoyed going and watching his games, didn't try, you know, tried not to miss any of them because, you know, after all, you know, he's playing basketball in pursuit of my NBA dream for him. And, you know, and so, so we were, uh, you know, watching these games. And I remember this one game, they were just kicking. I mean, they were just on, on, on target. They were, you know, just, just winning and, and and, and all of that, and, and the score just kept going up and up and up, and it's like, yes, it's, oh, that's my boy, you know, he's doing well. And after a little bit, though, the scorekeeper wasn't uh, changing the score. It just stayed the same. And I'm saying to Charlotte, like, what's going on? How come they didn't change? Hey, Nate just got another one. Hey, hey, how come they didn't change the score? We ended up finding out, you know, and, and we are given it, you know, I, well, maybe Charlotte was or some other parent, I won't say, you know, saying, come on, you know, what's wrong with the scorekeeper? I mean, we pay her good volunteer nothingness of money to be able to keep that score going. And it's just like, come on, can't you hit the button? Come on. Here they, we found out they had a mercy rule that at, it, once you got 20 points ahead, they no longer kept up in the score, you know, on it. And I'm like, what's with that? Like, come on, you know, I mean, mercy, I mean, come on, you know, th- th- this is about winning and, you know, posting your score and all of that. And, you know, or else in some, like baseball and some other sports that at, at a certain point, if, if one team is ahead by a certain amount at a certain point of the game, they just call a game. They'll do that in curling, but who watches that? Uh, you know, I do. And, uh, you know, that after after a little bit, there's like, okay, we're done, mercy rule, you know, and, and, and so we hear this about, you know, sort of this mercy rule, but you know what, folks, that, that isn't real mercy. I mean, mercy just isn't posting, or, or mercy isn't not just posting the score, it's, or, or ending a game early. True mercy would be taking your best players from the winning team and putting them on the losing team and them playing for the losing team. John MacArthur said this when it comes to mercy. He said, mercy refers to the ability to literally get inside someone else's skin until you think their thoughts, feel their emotions, understand their pain. Mercy is more than a passing wave of pity. It is an empathizing, it is a deliberate act of feeling their suffering and seeking to relieve it. And who did that for us? God did that. The supreme act of mercy is when God sent his son, Jesus, to this earth. God in the flesh. To experience what we have experienced. To suffer what we suffer. To be tempted in every way that we are tempted and yet was without sin. And he died in our place, taking the punishment that we deserve for our sins. He bore the wrath of God. The wrath that we should suffer that was coming our way. And then he conquered sin and death to the triumph over the grave. Ephesians 2, it says, once we were far off, once we were far off from God, but now we have been brought near through the precious blood of Christ, the penal substitutionary atonement. People today might say to you out on the street or at work or maybe a family member, they say, how could God be so merciful? If he's going to place his wrath and his judgment and hell on people. 
How is your God merciful? How is your God loving? Are you kidding me? He placed it all on his son. He placed what we deserve, what we have coming for us on his innocent one and only son. That's incredible grace and mercy directed our way. And by confessing and turning away from our sin and placing our confidence in him, we receive his mercy and his grace. He gets the punishment and the condemnation that we deserve. And we get his grace, his mercy, his loving kindness. That's a God of love. That's a God of mercy. I just encourage you even in in the next few moments, you might want to write down these references, but allow these scriptures just to flood over your life right now, these truths from God's word. And I'm going to read them and the words will be on the screen and just allow God's word to just be that final authority in your life of what he has done for us and his great mercy. Hebrews 2.17 says, Therefore, He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. Or Titus chapter 3 verses 4 and 7. But when the goodness and loving kindness or mercy of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now Ephesians 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive in Christ made us alive with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up from raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages we might show the immeasurable riches of his kindness of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Have you received his grace, his mercy This morning in your life? Have you received it initially? Has there been that point where you have come before him and asked for his forgiveness, his cleansing, and put your faith and your confidence not in yourself, not in anything good that you have ever done, but all in what Jesus Christ has done? Have you come to that place? You can receive his grace and his mercy and become a child of the king today if you haven't done that. We do that by repenting and, 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 and determining and desiring to turn away from our sin and the life that we've been living in and live a life pursuing God in his greatness and his righteousness.
But you know what? This mercy thing isn't a one-time thing. We need to receive it every day. I need God's mercy. I need his grace every day in my life. Where do you need his mercy today? Where do you need his mercy poured into you? Are you struggling with fear? God has mercy for you. And it's not just empathy. Remember, God desires to be in your skin and to walk with you and to, to, to maneuver and to fill you with his peace and his presence. Are you struggling with loneliness today? God longs to hold you through his son, Jesus. Are you struggling with an addiction today? Are you struggling with guilt over sins over the past? Are you being troubled in your mind with, with, with various battles or, or an area of of even secret sin that no one else may even know about and you've confessed it before God and, and you can't seem to get victory. You need his mercy poured into your life today. I need his mercy daily. You would need his mercy daily as well. We need to admit that before him. There's an endless supply of his mercy available for anyone who calls for it, anyone who asks for it. Lamentations 3, 22, 20, uh, 22 and 23, it says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never. Underline that in your Bibles this week. They never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And it's crying out before God daily. In humility, oh God, I need your mercy today. And tomorrow, I'll need his mercy once again in my life. Mercy, it flows. True mercy flows from the heart of God. Now, there's a danger in reading this passage here in verse 7. And when it says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I don't want you to misread that. And people can do that, and I don't want you to do that. Because there's a great danger in thinking, oh, if I'm merciful towards others, God will then show mercy to me. I mean, that's the way I read it. Blessed are the merciful, so happy, approved by God, are people who are merciful, because then they shall receive mercy. And that obviously must be from God. So is this Christian karma kind of thing? Like, do good, which is no such thing as Christian karma, but I'm just using that as a kind of a wild, kind of silly example. You know, like, do good, receive good. Um... You know, what goes around comes around. Is that what he's getting at here? That, you know, so, so we get mercy from God if we're merciful. So we need to be merciful. And then as we're merciful, God will be merciful. Am I, am I emphasizing this point enough for you to understand that? This is not what it's saying, though. All right? Because that's totally inconsistent with scriptures, even that which we just read. Now, what Jesus is saying here that and, and, and what we see is the order of these beatitudes, why it's so important that we study God's word, not picking and choosing one verse at a time. But this is why it's important that we've worked through one, two, three, four, and now we're at number five. Because first of all, we receive God's mercy by number one, recognizing our spiritual poverty before God, beatitude number one. That there's nothing we can do to become a child of God's, to inherit the kingdom of God. Nothing we can do. We're coming poor and bankrupt and secondly, the, the next one, that we're mourning over our sin. We understand that our sins have put Jesus on the cross and, 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 and we want to turn from that life of sin. We want to mourn over our sin. We want to confess our sin. And immediately it says we're comforted, we're forgiven. And then the third one, that, that, that this produces a desire for meekness because we are humbled by what God has done for us in sending Jesus and a meekness and a gentleness towards others. And remember, meekness is not weakness. His power under control. And then this grows, as we were talking two weeks ago, but a hunger and a thirst to pursue righteousness. 
Because of what God has done for us, we want to please him. We, we want to pursue being more like Christ and, and, and taking God's word and obeying it and, and, and even reading this morning in Ephesians, certain things that we're to take off and other things we're to put on, put off the old man, put on the new man. We have, we're new creations to pursue being more and more like Christ and manifesting more of his life, his grace, his mercy that's being infused into our lives out to others. And this is why then we can come to this fifth beatitude. Because we have received his mercy, we are merciful towards others. We have it to give it. I encourage you to write that down. We have it to give it. We have his mercy to be able to give it. We are merciful because or in response to the mercy that we've received. And I don't know about you, but I'm sure in need of his mercy every day but I'm also in need of giving his mercy to others on a daily basis. Daily, we need to be finding ourselves coming before him and saying, oh God, I need your mercy and compassion today for the life that I've lived or for the things that I've thought or where I'm at. I need your mercy and compassion in my job, in my family, in my marriage. I want to fight. I want to I be right. I want to prove my point. I, I want to get even over what's happened. Oh God, I need your mercy. Here's the second thing I encourage you to write it down. Merciful people are compassionate people. We are to share it. We are to share his mercy with others. Jesus taught extensively in his teachings that the mark of one who has received his mercy is also someone who gives out his mercy, is giving it to others. And the greatest way that we can show his mercy is ultimately in the gospel, in telling people about Jesus Christ. And a great way to be a starting point in doing that is by coming alongside and meeting the needs of another. Just walking around and, you know, hitting people with the four spiritual laws. Not that there's anything wrong with the four spiritual laws, but just coming out and handing this out isn't doing our job. It's showing mercy. It's showing compassion. It's like, well, I am. I'm showing compassion. I'm showing care. I'm giving these up. No, remember, it's about getting into their skin, getting into the lives of others loving them, caring for them, realizing, understanding what they're going through and entering into that pain in order to be able to care for them and to come alongside and to share the gospel with them. A mark that we've truly received God's mercy is then we have a desire to share it and to show it to others. 1 John 3.17, kind of a stunning, stunning verse it says in 1 John 3.17, it says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. See, this is, a, this is one of these heart tests that we don't like to take. There are certain physical examinations that as you get older, you don't necessarily like to take. You go to the dentist, there's certain tests the, de the dentist needs to do that he doesn't, you don't really like him, to, him or her to have to do it, but it's for our good. And here is an important test that we see in God's word. That our lives, if we have the mercy, if we receive the mercy of God in our lives, we are going to share it. We're going to share it with those around us. Last week, Compassion Canada, what a great presentation. We're sorry we weren't able to upload it. We had a few um, problems with the recording that uh, wasn't able to be uploaded on the website. But 
I mean, we were presented with the great need and the opportunity to be able to, to, to give $41 a month. And, and Jeremy, the guy who was speaking here, was just so encouraged with your response. He, he would have guessed our congregation um, would have been seven or eight sponsors. And there was, I, I believe, it was over 14 sponsors, uh, kids that were sponsored last week. And, and he was thrilled with that. And, and yet, I believe we could even do more than that. When we hear a need, we see a need, we, we can respond to it. And, and, and through compassion, an organization, as we heard, that is so committed to the gospel, that is so committed to the local church. I mean, it's what we're about. We, we love that. We love hearing that. And, and I know there's other good organizations too. And, and yet we're getting behind compassion in that. You can still sign up and, and, and do that if, if you so want to. We can direct you in that, I'm sure. But we need to respond biblically, not just by, you know, writing a check or, or giving our credit card number. There's a greater way that we need to do that. And there's a hands-on, getting our hands dirty, getting into the skin of others. And, and, and one practical place that we can show mercy, we can show compassion, um, compassion in action is, is within the life of the church, areas of ministry or people that, 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 that are in need and we can come alongside and we can help and, and, um, and, and we respond to those needs, not just assume someone else is going to do it. We jump in there and we do it. I think of my parents, uh, my dad's 82, I believe now, or coming to, on to 82 and my mother is catching up to, well, not catching up, but remaining consistent behind him a number of years. And, uh, and, and they are so busy. This week, my dad is coordinating 82 years old. George, is he 82? You would know how old my dad is. Is it 82? Because he's the same age as you. There we go. 82. And uh, see, George knows these things. Anyways, um, this week, my dad's coordinating a vacation Bible school for Syrian refugee children. 82 years old. And, and they're trusting the Lord for 30 to 40 little Syrian refugee children. And, and he says, you know, we can go around to coffee shops and, and sit around with people our age and, and complain about all our aches and pains, or we can get involved in the lives of, of others that are around us. And, and, um, and, and they spend most of their day through, days throughout the week when they have time um, in the homes of Syrians, getting into their skin, getting to know them, and, and looking for opportunities to share the gospel. And boy, if you think of it this week, pray for the gospel presence to go forth in Regina as, uh, as this summer camp for Syrian refugee children will be taking place. And, and, and so we look for, for opportunities and, and we get in there. This re, uh, I mean, this region, I mean, we are bombarded, it seems, in a growing area of, of, of the street presence and the homelessness and substance abuse. I mean, it's just skyrocketing all around us. It was a great thing to be able to go and pray on Wednesday night for, for our community and for community leaders and for the various issues. And, you know, in our region, in Vernon, Penticton, they're, they're struggling with the same kind of issues and we want to be praying uh, alongside for them as well in that. But it also means we have to get into the action. We've got to do something about it. <laughs> Ironically, um, I love God's timing. I, just, he, he's, he's so funny. Uh, he just, yeah, the way he orchestrates things. As I was working on Friday afternoon on my nice little sermon here on mercy and compassion and showing it and, and that, um, the office was quiet. No one was around. And, and um, I got up from my office, walked down the hallway, turned the corner, walked past the office where Chrissy works out of. There's also a storage area. And there's a street guy going through the shelves in the back part of the room. And I'll be honest, I did the schoolgirl scream, uh, like, ah, hey, what are you doing here? Kind of thing. You know, I was very alerted by, by what was going on, and it scared him. So it was that high-pitched little scream, Roxanne's scream, was pretty good. And, um, 
And, and uh, he turned around and he said, oh, I, I just want something to drink. And I'm like, really? Is that what it is? You know, you're rummaging around here, a number of things. And, and um, he says, yeah, I just want something to drink. And I said, hey, well, I'll be more than happy to give you something to drink, but you shouldn't really sneak up here. Oh, I didn't sneak up here. I said, I think you did. I would have heard you. I've got good hearing. Uh, anyways, I didn't get into that with him. I found out his name was Carl. And he needed to, to leave quickly. Uh, he didn't stick around very long. And, and, and yet, it was this kind of thing as we're seeing this growing kind of need around us. You kind of wonder, what do we do about it? What do we do practically? We can support the gospel mission for sure. This past week, I got together with Pastor Les, who is the chaplain from Kelowna Gospel Mission, and just asked him, and uh, I found out the same information from Trevor Davies in our church who works with the gospel mission as well, and, and, um, and I said, how can we as a church, how can I as an individual, how can we help people, how can we show biblical mercy and compassion, how can we kind of get into their skin, like God's word tells us here, to be able to bring relief and bring mercy and compassion and ultimately the mercy and the compassion and the good news of the gospel. How do we do this? And first and foremost, he says, don't give them money. Even if it's for the bus. Even if it's for them to be able to get on a greyhound and, and go see their mother or whatever story. He says, don't give them money because he said 99% of the time, he says, if you give them money, it's going to go up their nose, down their throat or in their arm. And so don't give them money, but there's practical ways. Yes, financially, supporting the gospel mission, but there's ways that we can alleviate the suffering of those around us. Support through volunteering and, and finances through some of the, especially the faith-based groups that are giving the gospel, that are giving the word of God as well as that compassion. And in the e-news this week, now you have even more reason to go and read Friday's e-news that perhaps you didn't read yet because there's a list of some of those organizations and websites and call them and look for ways to volunteer. The gospel mission, 6.30 in the morning, there's a lady uh, with a, a team of people and they, they drive around the streets and they go around and they're looking for the homeless people that are sleeping in the door fronts and, and making sure giving them some food if they need food, giving them a clean pair of underwear if they need that, caring for them and, and showing this love in action or, or they need help at the gospel mission, just folding um, laundry uh, from, from the bedding that, that they have um, for housing some of these people in the gospel mission. Food preparation, there's a need for, for people who are, are willing to, to lead a Bible study for those that are there. If you know how to cut hair, you can go and cut hair and, uh, or assist in the dental office that they have. But then, as I said, there's other good things like Teen Challenge and Freedom's Door. Call them up and say, hey, th I want to be able to come alongside and help, whether it might be some mentorship or maybe it's cutting wood or maybe, who knows what it might be, some, some work that is needed to be done. It's a way that we can, in a hands-on way, look at alleviating the need that these people are experiencing you can go to other places like Metro Church where they uh, have a clothes closet and help an organization of that or Salvation Army. There's many opportunities. There's ways that we can practically come alongside, get into the skin and alleviate the pain of others in order for them to experience and to hear about the love and the grace of God at some point in the right time that God would have. But we also have to realize that time is short. There's an urgency about this. The third thing I want to uh, encourage you about so, so merciful people are compassionate people. We are to share this compassion. But then thirdly, merciful people are forgiving people. We ought to extend forgiveness. 
And folks, you have to understand that there is one thing that I've heard over the last few years, this incredible phrase, and it's so true, there are no enduring relationships without forgiveness. If you're going to have a meaningful, enduring relationship with anyone, whether that be a family member, a church member, uh, someone at work, whoever it might be, a neighbor, there will be no enduring relationships with that person without your willingness to forgive. And sometimes that forgiveness will just be a one-way street. Forgiveness is the fr one of the fruits of mercy. And what God has done for us as undeserving sinners, he asks us to grant mercy and forgiveness to others around us. That means no retaliation, no vengeance, no grudges, no slander, no gossip, but rather forgiveness. A merciful person remembers their own sin and what we have done to the heart of God, what we have done to others. And it's understanding the weaknesses of others and forgiving them just as in Christ we have been forgiven in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells a story, a very familiar story about, uh, about a slave who was shown mercy by the master. Somehow this slave had incurred a large debt into the millions and millions of dollars. And the master called him on the loan and he says, I can't pay. There's no way I can pay this. And, and so the master forgave him this debt of millions and millions of dollars. And after being forgiven of this great debt, he goes out and finds a fellow slave, a friend, a co-worker, we're not sure exactly who, who owes him in, in relationship to the millions and millions of dollars he had just been forgiven. He, this other slave now owes this guy what would be a few thousand dollars. He grabs him by the throat and he says, pay up or else I'm going to throw you in prison until you're able to pay up. He had him thrown into prison. And when the master found out about this, about the unforgiving slave, he had him tortured and thrown into prison until he could pay. And Jesus says that this is what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. That's a serious, serious indictment. That if we aren't willing to forgive others for what they have done, God can't forgive us. And that means we're not saved. We won't be saved on the day that we pass from this earth. The Lord is talking about a person here that could be attending church, has a stellar outward actions, lives a moral life, has a very good list of holies, holy do's and don'ts, but holds a death grip on a grudge and says, I will never forgive. I've met people who've called themselves believers who are, have said that. And more than whatever the grudge and whatever the hurt that has happened, my heart goes out to them for the grudge that they're holding on to. Something that happened in some cases months, years, or even decades ago. Whether it's a business associate, a friend, a family member, employer, or a church. If we truly understand God's mercy towards us, if we truly understand it, how can we help but not extend it to others? And if we don't extend his mercy, we are living a life inconsistent with salvation, with a, with a save, inconsistent of a person who is, is saved. Or it may mean that we've never truly experienced God's grace in our lives personally, and we are outside his grace and his mercy. 
Now, I need to qualify this because there's always the dicey situations, and I don't want to get into all of them. I'm not referring and talking about a situation that is just unraveling or has just happened, and you're still sorting and processing and hurting. There's not a good time to just say, well, I'm going to hold on to it for a little bit. No, the day to start the process of forgiveness is today. And forgiveness can be a process. It can take days, it can take weeks, and sometimes it can take a little bit longer than that. And yet there's a process of us committing to um, the word of God, having brothers and sisters who will encourage us in the area of forgiveness. The voices, when you talk about hurt and when you talk about things that have happened to you and you're struggling with unforgiveness, make sure you have people who are pushing you towards forgiveness, not towards holding on to that grudge. What does God's word have to say about this? Forgiveness is a process. It will take time. I'm not referring to the person who has a trouble forgiving. I'm talking about the person who, who says, I won't forgive. Because there will be things that will happen where forgiveness will be hard. And forgiveness doesn't mean trust. It doesn't mean that we're going to necessarily trust them again or be close buddy-buddy kind of thing. But we've forgiven them from our hearts. That we love them as God would love, the way that God would, would love them and would want us to love them. Years ago, I, as I walked through a great season of hurt and turmoil in my life, and, 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 and that also went into our family's life, God's word and God's people, trusted friends and counsel that they gave to push me and to pray for me and with me to experience God's freedom and forgiveness was so real and so necessary in my life. And they spoke the truth in love, pushing me towards forgiveness. And God granted that in just an incredible way. Regardless of the wrong that's been done, no matter if they have asked for forgiveness or not, we forgive. You say, but I can't. I can't forgive. I can't forgive what has happened. You know, like what took place. You're right, you can't. You can't. You're too weak. I'm too weak to do it in my own power and my own strength. But I can in God's power and his strength. When his mercy, his power is applied to my life, by God's grace, we can forgive. Corrie ten Boom, some of you would know that name, was a Dutch lady who, along with her family, helped many Jews escape the Holocaust, the Holocaust of the Nazis, by hiding them, hiding Jews in, in their house. She wrote the book, The Hiding Place. Corrie and her sister Betsy were imprisoned after getting caught in a concentration camp in Germany for hiding the Jews. Her sister died in that concentration camp. And Corey was released because of a clerical error. It's the only reason she got out of the concentration camp. And a week or two later, after, uh, after she had been able to be released from prison, all the ladies her age were sent to the gas chamber. God gave her an important ministry of sharing the truth of God's word and sharing about forgiveness. In her book, The Hiding Place, she recalls how in a post-war meeting where she was speaking in a church, while she was speaking, she saw a former SS guard from the concentration camp. He came up to her afterwards to talk to her. He wanted to shake her hand. He had become a Christian. He was a changed man. But she said, suddenly and very vengeful, very angry and vengeful thoughts boiled through me. I prayed, Lord Jesus, help me to forgive. 
I tried to smile, she said. I struggled to raise my hand, not even the slightest spark to, to warmth or charity that I had for him. So I prayed again, God, give me your forgiveness. And as I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him. While into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. Mercy because of mercy. Mercy flows to us or flows out of us in direct response to the mercy that we have received from God. So how do we live what we've been learning here this morning? First of all, spend time thanking God for his mercy. In the song that Dwayne's going to be singing, I trust it would be an incredible prayer as, as we just are reminded of his loving kindness. Would it lead us to repent of those areas where we are not showing mercy or we have not received the mercy and the grace of God in our lives? Spend time thanking God and, and then confessing, God, I need more compassion. I need to forgive. God, I want a heart that is growing in mercy and love and compassion and forgiveness because I've kind of stalled out and I'm stubborn and I'm holding on to some things. And so confess, God, I need your help. God, help me to forgive that person. God, help me to show mercy because right now that person is just, has just pushed every button. You can't do it in your power, your strength, nor can I. But God, would you give me daily, your mercies are new every morning and I need them today once again and I'll need them again tomorrow. I'm going to need it when I go to work, when I'm going to go, when I'm on holidays, I'm going to see that person again. I, I'm going to need your mercy, God. And then read these passages of scripture. These will all be on our website, the sermon section after the service today. Read the word of God, stories of God's mercy and compassion, his love, his forgiveness. Take a concordance and just read the passages this, this, this next week in the area of God's mercy and loving kindness and you will be overwhelmed with his love and his kindness towards us. And then live it. Get out and do mercy. Live a life of mercy. Forgive those who have wronged you. And those struggles, those people that it's just so hard to be able to forgive, have others join you in prayer that I want to get victory in this area. It's not a gossip time. It is a time where we get low before God and have others stand with us and pray Look for ways to alleviate the pain and the suffering of others locally, in your family, in your workplace, wherever God opens up doors of opportunities and then walk in it. Walk daily in the freedom and in the joy and the mercy that God is growing in your life, in our lives, in the life of this church, amen?